And we're back. All right. I've put away all distractions, so you have my complete and undivided attention. Does that mean you put your pants up? <laughs> and I zipped myself up. Back to the bin. Hey everybody and welcome to Back to the Bins. I am Paul Spataro and I am joined today by my good buddies, Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? It's going alright, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. And Bill Robinson. Hi everyone. How you doing, Bill? Oh, doing alright, doing alright, getting better. Alright, well it's good, it's good that you're getting better. Thank uh, God. Let's see. Last episode, I said we were 103. I think we were 104. So this episode, I this is episode 105. I think this is episode 105. <laughs> I'm getting that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's not SETI Alpha Six. You're saying this is episode 105. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say the whole episode. Episode 6 exploded six months after we were left here. Admiral Gardner never bothered to return, which is why he wasn't here last episode. Sorry about that. So we had to make do with Honeywell. Oh, good lord. You didn't. You didn't. Tell me you didn't. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we kept on target. We were, well, we were like an hour and 15 minutes, right, Paul? Yeah, we were right around an hour and fifteen minutes, and I, I tell you, when 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 Chris uh, when Chris focuses, he's a he's a nice little addition. Wait, when Chris focuses, when does he focus? When he doesn't have uh, energy drink. Ah, I see how it is. He was, I was, he was energy drink free. He guest stars with somebody who behaves himself. I see how it is. All right, I got gotcha. you. I was the one with the energy drink. That's right. We're gonna have words about this next uh, next two true freaks proper. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna take him to task. All so right. So I'm we're going uh, off format today. Yet again. <laughs> Stay off topic. Stay off topic. Ah, <laughs> uh, we need to every once in a while. We need we need the pressure valve on the pressure valve release on this episode to just go off on crazy tangents and all that fun stuff. I think we've been doing a really good job lately ever since we, we've made more of a, a concerted effort to uh, stay on topic and, and rein ourselves in time-wise and all that sort of thing. I think we've been doing a fantastic job. But every once in a while, we just need the, the free reign to just shoot the breeze. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's something, actually, you know, we're going to be doing emails. So I'm going to throw it out there to the listeners to email in what they think about when we do go off topic and what they think when we do a spotlight show, like when we did the Star Trek show a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I like to do that. I don't want to make it a permanent thing where we're, you know, always spotlighting something. But I think it's kind of fun to do it every once in a while, and I'm curious to know if the listeners actually enjoy it. Definitely, definitely. Well, i tell you what. I'm loving that... Uh 
nearly every episode, we've got something in the mailbox. We may not get to them every episode, but nearly every episode, there's something there if, you know, time allows. And that's awesome because uh, that's still one of the things that we're struggling with, I think, with Two True Freaks. I, I don't know if it's the, the nature of that show because it's a different topic every week or what, but uh, just not getting as much email feedback on that show. Whereas this show, Back to the Bins, man, we, we almost always have uh, feedback, and I, I love it. It's great. I really enjoy that. And uh, it's nice when you've got so much of it that you can actually devote a whole episode to it. I think th- I think email episodes are fun myself. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and, and you know, like when I, I've heard them on Hey Kids Comics, I enjoy listening to them also. Definitely. And usually it's a good reason for us to go off topic. Absolutely. Well, yeah, you, 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 you're getting, you know, that that. I was going to say that live response is not a live response, but you know what I mean. You're you're getting a response from a live listener telling you what they think, and uh, and a lot of times they can generate some really fun and interesting discussion that you didn't see coming. That's what I like about it. So mm-hmm. it's just a chance to an excuse to talk about something you may not normally talk about. So I get a kick out of that, and to sometimes revisit a topic that we covered a few episodes ago. Yeah, exactly. Commenting on absolutely. Yeah. Well. We can go ahead and jump right in. You want me to take this first one? Up to you. I can go ahead and take this first one. This one's from our buddy Chris Keith. And he writes, he says, Back to the Bins 99 or whatever the hell episode it is now. <laughs> he says, do, you, hey, do you think that joke got old after a while? I don't know. I worry that it did. The funny thing is, uh, I don't know if the listeners will have heard this yet by the time they're hearing this episode. But there's one more of those Fraction episodes out there. It's actually a lost episode. Um, I'm not sure where it's going to be released in the lineup at this point. So like I say, I have no idea as we're recording this if the listeners will have already heard it or not. So if you haven't heard it, guys, there is one more of those 99 Fraction episodes out there. So eventually, it, it, it's being kind of held in reserve at this point for... Uh, you know, if we ever uh, get behind or we you know, we need a little uh, little buffer or whatever, we're just kind of keeping it out there. But uh, at least one more of them. So I don't know. I, I'm, I'll be curious to hear from you guys. What did you think about uh, that little trick? Basically, we did that because we were stalling for episode 100 because we wanted to make sure that the gang was all here for that. And uh, and I think originally we had kind of bigger and more grandiose plans for episode 100, but. I, that's not to say that I didn't think that it was still a, a bang-up episode. I enjoyed that episode a lot, the way it came out. I enjoyed it also, but I did like when we were originally doing it with the circus performers. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, Cirque du Soleil doesn't really transfer well on podcasts. A lot of grunting, a lot of, you know, noise. Oh. And then we brought in the tiger and it mauled Mike Bailey. <laughs> shh, shh, don't, tell, don't tell Rachel. <laughs> So, Chris says, he says, hey, guys, he says, your most recent, that being one of the 99s, drew me offsides enough to write into the show. He says, I, I didn't know, uh, I, I don't know, rather, that I've written to Back to the Bins, but I certainly enjoy the program. In this particular episode, Scott discussed the West Coast Avengers, and it got me reminiscing. He says, I believe that Bill mentioned that the book got better after the shaky start uh, it had. He says, Scott reviewed issue five, which, well, it was shaky. I have the entire run of the series, but only hardcore collected it monthly uh, from issues 1 to 70-ish. It says, I picked up the rest on the cheap and studied, uh, steadily pieced it all together. 
The series started when I was uh, about 11, so it was a no-brainer that I would like it. Hawkeye, awesome. Iron Man in the silvery armor. Uh, by the way, who decided to retroactively name the thing Silver Centurion? You know, I've wondered that myself, and I think I'm getting that name from um, the action. One of the action figures that was put out was I think it may have been one of the Marvel Legends action figures. I, that may have been the first time I heard that. I'm not sure, but I, I was. So you know, you about know what I think of with that is didn't wasn't there a an armored villain around the time when that came out called the Suntorian? Yes. Yeah. yeah that's what that's what that makes me think of. Yeah. Yeah. I know the guy you're talking about. It kind of looked like he had like a like a motorcycle helmet, and you had like a yellow and orange color scheme. Is that who you're talking sounds, about? Sounds about right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, sounds way too much like the Scarlet uh, Centurion, and that's a Kang alias. Actually, I think I've confused those two before. I think I have called that armor Scarlet Centurion from time to time, but it's actually Silver Centurion. Anyway, says I know uh, they never called it that in the book. And the West Coast setting, he says, still have never been to California, don't know that I want to go, but in 1986, it looked really cool, and it was different from the normal Avengers book. I was reading Stern's run at the time as well, but this book had a different feel to it. Again, I was 11, but this uh, this one felt like my Avengers. Going back and reading it, well, my Avengers wasn't that great. Englehart was on the book until about the 20s or early 30s, and while I loved the sheer amount of backstory that he included in the books, uh, where the vision came from, his relationship to Wonder Man, etc., in rereading it, I agree with Scott. Too many subplots. When this book premiered, the first story arc had Ultron, the Grim Reaper, Goliath, etc. All of the backstory made me scour back issue bins for years uh, to pick up the Celestial Madonna story. Oh, Jesus, I'm sorry, dude. And he says, uh, and anything related to this history lesson that Englehart was giving. Unfortunately, once the initial story ended, the suck began for quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest problem, aside from Englehart's overly uh, expositional writing, which I really didn't mind at the time and still tolerate, the villains. After having uh, cool villains like Ultron and Goliath in the first arc, the reality set in. No cool existing villains live on the left coast. They are all in New York. You had such heavy hitters as Craven, Master Pandemonium Ultron again. Hank really uh, named him. Sorry, really named him the Good Ultron Mark, and treated him like son. Really? Yes. I just read that story and I was <laughs> like, oh, this is odd. You know, what? I, I you were talking about this in an episode recently, weren't you, Paul? Well, when you did the West Coast Avengers book, I think we started, because remember, Hank was getting the uh, phone calls and hang-ups? Right, yeah. And I think I think that was Mark calling him. Yeah, that was the conclusion of that story, is it turned out that that, that particular Ultron really was a good Ultron, and he wanted to reconcile with Hank and, and you know, wanted to, to you know, be, be the good son and everything. And then another version of Ultron was still bad. And I think he destroys him at the end of the story. If I'm not, or, or I think the good Ultron gives his life to save him or some. Damn, yeah. I just read this thing, too. But I think that's what happens, that yeah. he, he basically sacrifices himself to save Hank. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm still struggling to get through it. And uh, it's <laughs> I'm sorry. It is still a slog. Um, Chris continues. He says headlock and Griffin. See, I haven't got there. Yeah. And, uh, finally a cool one in Graviton, uh, with a lame supporting cast. See, I like Graviton. I think he's been kind of 
uh, pegged as a lame villain, but I think he's actually a pretty cool villain if somebody would just use him properly. Well, he was the West Coast Avengers' first villain. Yeah, that's right. You're right, yeah. yeah. In that miniseries, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Master Pandemonium, for a third freaking time, Whirlwind and Dominus, a character everyone forgot except those of us that read Englehart's Captain America run in the 70s. And I don't even uh, think Cap was Cap in that issue. It was just Falcon. A lot of people will cite the cross-time story as the high-water mark for this book. As a kid, I thought it was awesome. As an adult, I have to say one coincidence is, is interesting, about 12 coincidences all happening in one story arc. I'm waiting for someone to realize that they are in the Matrix or something. <laughs> you travel through time and just happen to come across all these characters who just happen to be time-traveling at the exact same time? Come on. Uh, you just happen to be in Philly uh, the same exact date uh, that Doctor Strange is there. In all of ancient Egypt, you come back on the one day that the FF was there. <laughs> I haven't read this story yet. This sounds awesome. Hey, man, it's just like Back to the Future. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, really? <laughs> so I'll skip ahead to Burn. He says, because the, la- uh, the rest of the 20s and 30s were kind of boring. Hawkeye became super ridiculous because of his wife's experience with the Ghost Rider or Phantom Rider or whatever the hell his name was that month. Team splits, blah, blah, and then Burn. I love John Burn. Please don't mistake my criticism uh, as my not liking his work. However, he basically used this book to just piss on everything that Engelhart ever did to these characters. Tiger becomes cat-like again, despite Englehart merging a cat persona with her Greer Nelson persona. Vision, after decades of character building, mostly by Englehart, becomes Data and his, uh, has his origin totally ripped apart. He's the original Human Torch. He's not the Torch. Uh, the Scarlet Witch goes completely nuts when her quote-unquote children are revealed to uh, not actually exist, you know, despite the fact that they were delivered by Doctor Strange. It just seems that everyone was monumentally out of character, as if Byrne was rebooting the book or rehashing some Next Men discarded uh, plot lines. That governmental group that captures the vision uh, and dismantles him was straight out of Next Men. See, this was years before Next Men, though. That's, that's my only issue with that. Mm. Uh, Byrne's mm. best part of dismantling the vision, however, was that he uh, brought back the Jim Hammond Human Torch, who just looked awesome. I'll agree. See, I read this book because, <clears throat> excuse me, this was at a time that I was extremely enamored of John Byrne. You know, he had just come off of Superman, which broke my heart. So I followed him everywhere he went for a time after Superman. And this also lent into my eventual kind of whatever you want to call it, disillusionment or whatever, with Byrne, because he, after Superman, I still maintain that that for the longest time, I think his heart went out of comics. And he he just seemed to wander and meander from, from project to project, where he'd come in, kind of upset the apple cart, and to a degree, Chris, I'll agree with you, kind of piss on everything that somebody else had done, and then scamper off to the next project. And after about the 15th time he did that, I stopped kind of caring, and I I think his work, not only his writing, but I think his art began to suffer, and that combination kind of put me off burn for a long, long time. That said, see, I didn't know any of the backstory of this coming in. I came in to West Coast Avengers because Burn came in, so I didn't know any of that backstory, so it wasn't until later on that I realized that he was doing what you're saying here. I was just along for the ride, and at the time coming out, 
hell, I loved it. I thought it was really, really good. This was one of those books I was buying like two and three copies of because I thought it was really fantastic stuff. And I actually liked what he did with Vision because I always have a problem in comics with the android characters being a whole hell of a lot more advanced than I think that they should be for the technological level that we're at, you know? And the Vision is a perfect example of that. So I thought Burns Vision was more in line with what that character should be, kind of robotic, kind of data-like, and not just basically, oh, he's just a regular dude that just happens to be synthetic. Huh? That never made a whole lot of sense to me. Of course, that's the way the original Human Torch was. He was right. a regular dude just that, that just happened to be synthetic. That's true. That yeah. is true. That's a good point. But but the Vision, I mean, at the point before he was ripped apart, he had bonded or had uh, hooked up with the Isaac computer out right. on uh out that the uh titan it was on titan, titan, or titan yeah thank you yeah, yeah the titan eternals um he had bonded with that and then uh when he came back because of that bonding he had uh he had taken over well that's why they dismantled him because he right. in the avengers he had taken over all the computer systems on the earth right and uh the government basically you know you know the avengers got him to to back down and then um you know this was the retribution for that so, so Byrne didn't really come in and, and, and poo poo and, and, and piss on that because that had already been, you know, that groundwork had kind of already been laid in the Avengers book proper. Right. I mean, not to say Lots that he didn't really screw up a lot of other stuff. Right. Yeah. John Byrne at this point was kind of like the anti Samuel Beckett from, uh, from Quantum Leap. <laughs> he was leaping from book to book to screw it up and then move on to the next one. Right. I mean, I mean, his art was still good, but even after a while, his art seemed to look feel hollow uh it, it, yes yes very much so that that's kind of what i was going for that this i'm trying to remember what the next project was after this i want to say maybe namor maybe i think so I, yeah i think that yeah. was it so if i'm right in the next project after this was namor then this makes this the last quote-unquote you know the, the the air quotes um true john byrne book in my opinion you know because this was the last time for me, that Byrne felt like Byrne the way I envision Byrne when I picture him in my mind. You know, that, that classic 80s, awesome, Man of Steel era John Byrne. And See, I, I've only read a little bit of the Namor run, uh, and I've, I've really wanted to sit down and read a lot more of it. And I, I th- from what little I've read, I kind of thought it was good, but it didn't have the same epic scope that he had with, X-Men and Precisely. FX and Superman and even to some degree West Coast Avengers. So I do see what you're saying where he, you know, th- that it's not at the same level as that. But I, I, I thought he really did make a, uh, you know, a concerted effort to do it differently than it had been done before, which is, you know, which is tough to do with a character that even at that point had been around for, you know, 40 years. Namor is a mixed bag because, well, full disclosure, I hate Namor. I always thought Namor should be called Lamor because he is, to me, just one of the most just seriously lame and ridiculous characters. That said, only John Byrne at that time, at that at that just magical time in in the in the late eighties, only John Byrne could get me to buy, you know, the friggin' Submariner. I just I just don't like that character. But the one thing I felt I felt like he really did with that that was good stuff and i 
think they still use this today, I'm not sure, is that he finally explained why Namor vacillates so far between being a complete dickhead and being a hero. Well, actually, it's, like between, it's kind of between being a complete dickhead and being kind of a dickhead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he never, yeah, he never really became a true hero. But you know, what I mean is, you know, it's like he fought for he, you know, he fought along with our boys and you know, for the red, white, and blue in World War II, and then a few years later in the '60s, he's trying to conquer the Earth, you know, and destroy New York City. And it's like, is this the same dude? And essentially, what Byrne explained was, it isn't. It isn't. Because of the nature of being a, a hybrid freak, you know, a, a mutant made up of you know the DNA of a of a, of a surface breather or you know a surface person and an air breather, that he basically has like a I'm trying to remember it's like a I don't know, like a, some sort of like blood sugar issue or something so it's making him nuts you know it's like so he would he would, he was not like bipolar or something you know so for a while he'd be really nice or you know as nice as he gets. And then all of a sudden he'd go on these like serious like psychotic benders where you know he wants to you know bring up the walking whales and trample New York you know so I, I mean I'm not explaining it near as well as Byrne wrote it but it was not bad I enjoyed it but the problem was that was the beginning of the end for the like the really good classic John Byrne art because that's when he started to screw around with all these new art styles and he was using this style. I don't know if it was a computer thing or some new inking technique, but it was. It looks really weird. It looked to me a lot like um, if you ever saw Iron Man Crash, which was a, I think it's the first computer-generated graphic novel, and it had this really thin line that it, it looked like it was run off on one of those old-school computers like you know when you first started to see like pcs and people's you know like like commodore 64s and they had those big clunky printers and they would print and they'd have that really thin line and all and, and, yeah. and his art style looked like that and i was like what the hell is this it doesn't look like it's even inked or it didn't look like it was it, what it kind of looked like it was it looked like it was it was from the inks with no pencils if you know what i mean it was really strange and I, I well, didn't. Well, I think for, for the opposite of what you're saying, from the pencils with no ink. No, this was like the other way around. This was like it was like it was inked with a real thin line, and there had never been a pencil. It's kind of what it looked like, and it was just odd. It was just a really bizarre art style. It just didn't look right. It, it looked like it hadn't translated properly or so i don't know it's really hard for me to explain it's because it's such a visual thing you just have to look at it and see it to, to really know what i'm talking about but i i didn't care for it at all and and that's really when he started to play around with his style and it's also the time that he started to have things published in like cbg and stuff saying you know basically how he was fed up with comics and you know, I, I think this is right around the time he was famously quoted as, you know, it was time to get out of the trenches and, you know, only work on special projects and, you know, start, you know, stop wasting his time, you know, doing regular books. And, and there was like a big backlash with the fans. They were like, um, you mean like the same trenches that Jack Kirby labored in, dude, you know, that, that Steve Ditko labored in, those trenches and that I think that's when fandom kind of turned on him a little bit because he, mm. he did have some you know, kind of wacky things that he was spouting there for a while. But again, I think it all owes back to, 
I, I think he was pissed and b- brokenhearted about the thing with DC and Superman. My side, I don't know. That's my guess anyway. I could be full of shit. I don't know. So they, they do mention in uh, Marvel the Untold Story, they talk about how when Namor was coming out, it really wasn't a top seller, and that he came to the realization then that his name on the book alone wasn't good enough to uh, carry the day anymore. Right. And that that was kind of a revelation to him. Right. Uh, but but I, I agree with what you're saying about, uh, about the... the inking or you know lack of I, I don't know exactly how to word it but it, it 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 seemed to me like it came from when he inked his own work yeah uh it almost lost its depth and its like three-dimensional quality to yes. it that that it had you know when terry austin was doing it or or you know even you know several other people uh but when he did it himself it, it almost seemed like you, i think you might have even said it yourself that it seemed rushed yes yeah definitely and uh, that's that's a good uh, good observation about it losing its depth because yeah, that flat is a very good way to describe it. It did. It, it seemed to lack um, a, a three dimensional quality that uh, you know his best inkers definitely gave his work. And uh, yeah, between that and and the rush nature of it, it just it's just not his best stuff. Unfortunately, it, it was the it was kind of the beginning of a of a of a decline for him. And uh, for the, the first time since I discovered him, that I started to skip projects. You know, he started to go to a lot of projects that, frankly, I just had no interest in. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I followed him, you know, to several projects that I could care less about because he was John Byrne. And after, I don't know how many it took, but after a while, it was just like, all right, dude, I suffered through Namor. I suffered through this. I suffered through that. I don't have any interest in blood of the demon or uh you know pack rats or whatever the hell that other thing was that you know he just he had like a whole string of like i think he did lab rats lab rats that was it yeah lab rats and doom patrol uh, doom patrol and there were several of them that was just like dude i love you why are you slaving on this shit you know i just i even wrote to him at one point and as as politely as i possibly could essentially said just that you are a god why are you working on this shit that nobody cares about? You know, you're you're wasting your talent. You know, but now of late, I think he's come back a little bit with the what he did on Star Trek. Oh hell yeah, yeah. That's being uh, I don't know if it's being traded or if it's getting a hardcover treatment, but somehow or other, that's all being collected. Somebody posted something on our forum about it, and uh, yeah, if you have not checked out Burns' work for IDW on Star Trek, and uh, and you're either a John Byrne fan or a Star Trek fan or especially both, check that stuff out because it's awesome. It's uh, yeah, it's very much old school Byrne, and I love that stuff. And that boy knows his Star Trek. That's what I liked about it. Not only is it pretty, but uh, it's it's good. You know, it's good solid writing. Well, what he did he did the Assignment Earth series. He did Assignment Earth. He, he did, did uh, things. Didn't he do the Doctor McCoy series? Yes, he, he did, did that. Front. He did the crew. He did the Doctor McCoy. Mm-hmm. F- and he did several Romulan projects. I want to say yes. two or three minis, something like that. Yeah. But uh, all solid. Everything I've read of his that he's done for uh, for Star Trek for IDW has been really good. I think he might have done a Klingon something or other too. Maybe it was yeah. a one shot or a backup story or something like that. Was it an Alien Spotlight on the Klingons? That might have been it. That yeah. might have been it. Yeah. 
Those, by the way, are really good. Even the ones not done by Byrne, those alien spotlights. I don't have them all, but all the ones I have that, I, that I've read have all been phenomenal. They're really, really good. So basically, if somebody gave Na- Namor a Snickers bar, like in the new commercials they have, he'd, he'd, he'd send oh, a, yeah. a sea monster after you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he'd go from being Aretha Franklin back to Namor. Yeah, essentially, yes. Yeah, so, you know, like, like li- 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 Lady Dormer would lean over, hey, you're not really yourself today. Why don't you try one of these? <laughs> oh, thanks. V- vile wench. No. <laughs> and then um, I think the, I, I, I'm sorry. I think the first digital graphic novel uh, was Digital Justice. The first computer generated gra- graphic novel. Yeah, that, after I said that, I was thinking Batman Digital Justice. Batman Digital Justice, but I th- the the crash one holds some sort of distinction as something to do with computers. Mm. But I think you're right. I think Digital Justice is the first one actually like created solely on a computer. But yeah. Crash, there's something. I'll have to look that up to, to get my facts straight. But Crash has something to do with first computer something, something, something. I don't know what it was. Maybe the first one printed off a computer or something. I don't know. But. Something, something, something dark side. <laughs> something, something like that. But, uh, yeah. see, to me, the very best summation ever for Namor... And, and I'm telling you, I probably looked like the biggest freak the first time I ever went to Universal Studios Florida. But the best summation I ever saw for Namor was when you go to the bathroom at, uh, at, at the, the Islands of Adventure, the Marvel Superhero Island. It's this mm-hmm. giant picture of Namor swimming, and it just says restrooms under it. <laughs> so he's, I just, swimming in the he's swimming in the toilet. <laughs> I, just, I just get the biggest kick out of that. It's like, yep, he's a turd. See, I, I, I go hot and cold on him kind of the way his stories do. Some some of the stories I like, and some of them are just a waste of time. About the only ones I ever really read that I was like, you know, I can see what the guy's going for, and I'm almost there with him, is uh, Roy Thomas did a 12-issue maxi. Yeah. It was Saga of the Submarine. I haven't finished it yet, but I got about, I don't know, about three-fourths of the way through it, and I was digging it. It wasn't bad. The art was really good. Uh, Thomas likes to write words, but it was a good story. You know, I mean, it, it's just it took me forever to get through it. You know, it's it's a really meaty read, but it was good stuff. I like Roy Thomas, and that's what the girl on the boat, right? There's there's uh, a girl on a boat early in it. It's been a long time since I read that. That may be the Namor series. He's is it? It, it starts off as a girl, a girl yeah. and her father, and they're like yeah. scientists. Oh, okay. And they're the ones who right. discover this blood disorder with him. Right. Yeah. Mm. No. The the one I'm talking about was uh, damn. I can't remember who the artist was on that. I know Bob McCloud did some work on it. I, I don't know in what capacity. I can't remember, but it was written by Roy Thomas. McCloud. It was basically like the life story of Namor. You know. And it, it was like a. It was like a chronological telling of of you know putting his exploits in kind of a timeline and telling his story in context in all of his adventures in the marvel universe it was kind of like in 12 issues it was basically doing like a uh an all-star squadron treatment for namor's golden age adventures kind of thing and uh, it, it wasn't bad it was all right well, when you know, Roy, never, Roy learned how to write from Stan, so uh yeah he has yeah. There, there isn't an expository paragraph that he doesn't like <laughs> Well, when we have more time, we'll have to discuss why you dislike the Celestial Madonna storyline so much. Um, I, because that's where that was my entrance into the Avengers. We're talking about the original one in like Avengers one thirties. Yeah, that's, that's what we're talking about. 
Oh, I yeah. love that storyline. That's really uh, yes. Wow. In fact, uh, one of the first books I did when we when I started doing Back to the Bins with you was one of the Giant Size Avengers. Yes, that was that, when yeah. annuals. That was when annuals and Giant Size specials mattered because they were continuations of the regular story, not just, See, just you know. I, what I didn't like about that was uh, was what's her face um, Mantis. Well, yeah, she was a complete tool. She was a bitch. Yes, she was, she was well, a whore. But that doesn't mean it's a bad storyline. I mean, just I just it, there's too much shit going on in that story, and it was after a while. It, it was it was very redemption much, of the swordsman. It was you know yeah, but then it was, he becomes his he became soul a plant to a tree, and she marries the tree, and I'm like, okay, he I'm, became I'm, a giant walking piece of broccoli, like all yeah, the other kotai, whatever the hell they were. That's where I had to. But ch- you know what? I mean, you know, you have that much alcohol in you. <laughs> so you so you marry a tree. What's I have a very high tolerance for wacky, wacky, wacky shit in my comic books, but you can only push me so far. And when you had this super annoying Vietnamese chick with antenna on her head that was never explained, and she continually talked about herself like the Hulk talks about him, you know, the third person thing. And then she married the ghost of the swordsman who lived in a tree. And I'm like, I, I'm just, I'm done at that point. It's like, I'm it was sorry, the, you've pushed me as far as it I was, can possibly go. It was the taming of the shrew. She was, <laughs> she was, she, no, I'm serious. She was, she was uppity. She was, she was snobby. And she learned hu- humility, you know, when she figured out the swordsman really did love her. Yeah. Uh, but that's all I want to say. It's a story I know you've heard a thousand times before, <laughs> but I never thought boy, it would happen to me. Boy finds girl, girl talks girl. about herself in the third person, boy dies, boy turns into a tree. tree, boy marries girl. Yeah, okay, I, that happened to me in high school. <laughs> uh, where the hell was I in this email anyway? We're still uh, in an email, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're like on the last couple lines. <laughs> so Chris continues, he says, uh, make sure I'm on the right... Yes, yeah, you're says, in the right spot. <laughs> listening to this episode, he says, I just uh, just may have to reread the burn stuff just for the Human Torch piece. If I'm not mistaken, even that story had that damn master pandemonium show up. Yes, it did. Hey, you got to love a guy that's got a big upside-down pentagram hole in his chest. See, try, trying to fill the pieces. Yeah, try, creatures jump out of his sleeves. Blah. In the story that I just read, he, he says that every appendage of his is actually a demon. Whoa! I'm just gonna let that lie right <laughs> there. Going there. Yeah, exactly. That that writes its own joke right there. Uh, he says, "You know that uh, your book is second or third tier when instead of the Masters of Evil as your main villain, you have Master Pandemonium." Loving the return of the show, and I will be listening uh, next to the episode 100, which is next in my endless podcast queue. Thank you for putting out an excellent show as always, Chris Keith. He says, "P.S." If you think Iron Man looks bad here in issue five, take a look at the Vision and Scarlet Witch mini uh, released at the same time that this book started. The first two issues is a crossover with uh, West Coast Avengers and Iron Man. Well, my son could draw him better, and he's almost four. I looked up the artist uh, Richard Howell. I, I've never heard of him, but I'm guessing that uh, Thurston or Lovey Howell could draw <laughs> Iron Man, <laughs> where he actually looks metallic and not paper mache. You know, it's funny. If I'm not mistaken, I think Richard Howell is, uh, I think he did some work on All-Star Squadron, I 
think. I'd have to look that up, too, but I, I think he's one of the guys that I really liked on that. But I agree with you. Um, I had to read the issues of that second Vision and Scarlet Witch miniseries, just the issues that crossed over with uh, West Coast Avengers, and it was painful. But the story is intertwined, so you have to read it to follow the story. But once the crossover was done, I'm not reading any more of that mini because it was terrible. But uh, but thanks for the uh, very engaging email. You spurred a lot of conversation from that. And on to email number two from Brian Hughes. And it is not titled. Oh, it's titled Back to the Bins 100. And Brian writes, It just dawned on me what your 100th, 100th show should be about. I'm sorry, Brian, but it's a little late now. Uh, can't help you on that. Before I get into that, a little about me first. I am 47 and have been reading comic books since I was four years old. I have a collection of nearly 40,000 books, though I have, have had to sell some good ones over the years for various reasons. I once sold an early Silver Age Green Lantern to buy a car. Hey, you can get that much out of a wow. comic. Good for you, buddy. Absolutely. I paid for several semesters of college by buying, selling, and trading comic books. Again, good deal if you could do it. I'm a master of digging in the back issue bins for half-price gems. I stayed mostly in the DC and Marvel realms, going indie for a few titles, one of which I have never heard you talk about. Have you never read Mike Grell's John Sable Freelance? For me, that was a great series that showed us where Grell would lean towards with Green Arrow a few years later. I think I actually have a few issues of that in my collection, but I don't think I've ever actually read them. Have you guys uh, read any of those? No. I've never read any. I was just going to my database to see if I have any. I don't believe I do. Um, it's funny, too, because it, it, it's really weird with uh, with Grell. I love the guy. He's one of my favorite artists, but I never much cared for his indie work. I really like his mainstream stuff, but uh, not so much the... But I'm, I'm, I've never been much of an indie guy either, so... Well, I'm, I'm with Grell. I'm mostly, you know, Green Arrow and Legion of Superheroes for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, where was it? Now I lost my spot. Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, <laughs> you asked. <laughs> I've been listening to your podcast for a few months now, catching up with virtually all of the Back to the Bin shows. Hey, that's uh, that's quite a uh, mouthful right there. That's I find your shows. <laughs> speaking of which, you... no, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. But speaking no, of which, go I'm ahead, going back through the old episodes. Um, as you're doing that, Brian, head over to the forum and help us fill in the uh, Back to the Bins omnibus over there. I started a project where uh, I'm just looking to, to make a, a, a quick database that you can click on and find out what episodes we discussed, what issues. We, I've never kept a list until now, and I'm trying to get that filled in. So That's all. I find your shows to be good for the most part, but I don't really care for the randomness of it. Oh, that just cuts me deep. Using a random generator to pick the book can really give us a lot of crap to hear about. <laughs> when we really <laughs> want to hear about what made the past eras great, though I do love when you rant on someone like Rob Liefeld. Well, I'll tell you, you know, I, I was going to actually throw this out later to, to you guys and to ask about emails for it, but uh, I know my randomness is far from totally random. I mean, I don't just, you know, pull something out 
without any thought at all. I usually look for something that I either feel nostalgic about or something that I've had that I've wanted to read for a long time and just never got to. Uh, but I mean, I could be going more random or less random depending on, you know, what, what everybody's calling for. I, I kind of do both. I, I'm, I try to look for something that I'm familiar with or I'll go to find something that I've never read and have had an interest in, but just never really sat down and, and analyzed it like last issue when we did, uh, when I did the Bionic Man from Charlton. Yeah, so uh, you and I are basically doing the same thing, whereas I think Scott is far more random than either of us. I I am and I'm not. I mean, for me, one of the big missions for myself with this show has always been that I want to make sure that it's something I haven't read, which a couple of times I've had to break that when we've done different themes or whatever, different shows. But when you're talking just a regular old Back to the Bins in in the classic format, my intent was to pull out and read things that I that are just I've never read them they're random and and you're kind of getting my first impression reviews of them for that I do use a random number generator have I ever cheated hell yeah I've cheated I've pulled out a good number of things where I'm like oh hell no there's no way I'm reading that you know because either it's too meaty it's too 90s it's too whatever um so yeah I've cheated from time to time but generally speaking I use the random number generator and, and I stick to it about the only times I'll I'll break that is like after I come back from a con or a good garage sale or flea market or something and I've got a good stack of new books sometimes I'll kind of you know uh you know pick out some good ones and and put them on the top of the stack sort of thing but uh but generally speaking I I like the random nature of the show cuz you never know what you're going to get that's the whole that was the whole point of the show mm. yeah but yeah, yeah, I, I don't I figured, I've, I figured people listening never know what they're going to get but that doesn't mean that I can't sway it towards what I feel like reading right yeah cuz I don't have everything cataloged to where I can randomly generate and pick one out so I kind of have to either just grab a box and pull it open or look through some other, you know, stuff I have and say, well, let me look at this. And, you know, I'm going to go with this this one, you know, this time. Believe me, I've I've had plenty of moments of of being, uh, you know, of wondering, is the random nature of the show such a smart idea? Is it, you know, because basically if you look at the header for this show on our website, they all say exactly the same thing. It's the same picture. It's generally the same description of the show, and that's it. And you don't know what you're getting. And I, I, from the very beginning, I've always wondered, is, is that such a smart thing to do? But I'll tell you what, this is arguably the most popular show on the feed. It's definitely the one we get the most feedback about. And we've had a number of people, uh, some of them podcasters themselves, say that this is their favorite podcast, period. Not just favorite Two True Freaks related podcast, favorite podcast. I take great pride in that, so I guess we must be doing something right, you know. So, and, and I mean, and that's not to, uh, you know, slough off what Brian's saying by any means. It's just I, I've been right where you are, thinking, you know, I don't know about this random thing. I don't know, and not even so much the random thing. I don't know about the. Is it a good idea to not disclose to your listeners what you're talking about? Because we don't. I mean, until well, you download the episode and start listening, you don't even know what you're getting in this show. But there's well, we, something... we had that discussion a couple of weeks ago when, you know, when I was suggesting maybe we should put the issues that we're doing up, and then 
in the course of the same episode, uh, I don't even remember what book you were reviewing, but you were reviewing one book, and then we went into a discussion on a totally different book right. just by chance, and that's when we came to the conclusion that it wouldn't, you know, if we just listed the books we were reviewing, somebody might reject it, and then they would have missed a whole conversation about something that they would would have been interested exactly. in. Exactly. Yes, because exactly. There, there's been times, you know, a lot I've, over the past few years, I've listened to a lot of podcasts and I get a backlog going and I look in the notes and I'd be like, you know, I'm really not interested in that particular what what you know, what that particular topic is or what that book that they're covering. I know that book backwards and forwards, so you know, I'm just gonna skip this one. Because I've got over five, six, seven, eight, nine days worth of podcasts that I'm never gonna listen to. Right. <laughs> so it's like something's gotta go. So I'm just gonna ditch that. Whereas with what the way you have it laid out, you have to listen because you don't know what the show's gonna be about. I'm tricking them. They have to listen. I love it. And and please don't 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 tell Paul that this is the highest rated show. I mean, do you see the size of his head in that picture already? <laughs> my it's God, it's my, my neck is getting really sore. Just just holding the freaking thing up. It just and bouncing back, around, bouncing. Back around. to Brian's email. Listening to you has inspired me to start my own podcast with my friends, so we can go over the best of times and even the worst of times. That's very interesting, and let us know what what your show is and where it is, and you know we'll 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 pimp it for you. Absolutely, send us a promo, we'll play it. In fact, speaking of which, because my editing skills are weak, uh, Andy's been asking for a back to the bins promo for him to air for us. Uh, but I, I I may try my hand at that and see if I can throw something together. But cool, <laughs> my my editing is uh, wanting at this point. <laughs> but we'll see. Maybe I can do it. Now, with that over, in regards to your 100th episode, here is what I'm thinking of. He is the reason I start. I, I excuse me. He is the reason I really started to appreciate comics. I mean, I was already collecting, but when I discovered his work in the in the 70s, he made me start to really pay attention to who does the art on a book. Naturally, I'm talking about John Byrne. John's work has been a staple of most every collector's boxes over the years. And I have spent a good amount of time and money digging through bins just to find his work. I think you could go on for hours discussing his work from his stuff at Charlton, his early work at Marvel, Iron Fist Marvel team-up, to his work, to his first rock star book, X-Men. His FF run could take an hour alone. The DC game change with Superman. His work can sometimes be overshadowed by his feuds with Shooter, Claremont, and so many others. So there is room for discussion here. Discussion there, excuse me. His later work had its up and downs, but still his work is awesome. I think Byrne is the best candidate for a Back to the Bins retrospective. If you could pull any book from the back issue bins to show someone some great examples of what yesterday's books looked like, why wouldn't you pull a Byrne book nine times out of ten? Anyway, those are my thoughts on the subject. Keep putting them out, and I will keep listening. I don't always agree with you, but it's usually fun. Thanks, Brian Hughes. Thank you, Brian. I kind of like the idea of not maybe not doing a burn retrospective. I mean, we just went off on burn a little bit on the last email, but maybe you know if we're doing a spotlight episode, maybe do a uh, a John Burn episode where we each pick a burn book. Never heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, he 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 breaks my heart because a while back, uh, I'm pretty sure this was back before. Uh, 
Mike and eventually yourself, Paul, joined us for uh, Comics Monthly Monday, Chris and I had a segment on that show called Burn Baby Burn that was going to be pretty much a linear examination of John Byrne. And I think we only got like three or four issues into it where for one reason or another, we just felt it wasn't working. And so we jettisoned it. I always kind of regretted that because it would be fun to do that. It's it's, but once again, it's one of those, like, you know, my head is full of about a million podcasting ideas and it just comes down to time and bandwidth for, you know, ever getting these things done. But man, I would love to really be able to do something like that. But, uh, you know, at least like a one-shot episode, yeah, hell yeah, I'd be totally down for that. Because I am, I, you know, to this day, I'm a huge John Byrne fan. Mm-hmm. And uh, at one time, I did have every book that he'd put out. You know, I mean, I've, I've long since fallen behind on that project. But between, say, Wheelie and the Chopper Bunch and, you know, his, uh, like, West Coast Avengers, for example, I'm pretty sure I've got everything he ever did. Have uh, you seen some of the stuff that's come out on Facebook recently that he's posted some black and white photos? Oh, yes. uh, Not photos, but artwork that he's done with George Perez. I don't know if I've seen the Perez Perez one. Yeah, I don't know if I've seen the Perez ones. but uh, Yeah, there was a really good Wolverine one. I mean, my God, the amount of hairs that are on Logan's arm, it's just – it's a shot from him in the sewer uh, from one of the – x-men ones where wolverine goes into the hellfire club mm-hmm. you know and he, he's got the look you know with the you know he's got the claws up you know now it's my turn and it's that shot but Ooh. it but but it's Perez and burn i'll try to find it and uh and uh and link it to you but yeah it's on his page it's on burn's page on on facebook and uh he's been doing a lot of x-men ones have have been popping up lately all black and white yeah, he did one that was, uh, it was Doom standing on, I don't know what the machine was, it kind of looked similar to his time platform, but he was standing on some machine and and remote controlling Superman to fight the FF. And that was, I mean, the level of detail in that picture was just astounding. It was an absolutely gorgeous piece of art. It was all in black and white. And looked really, really cool. What was cool is the machine that Doom was standing on looked a lot like one of those Dance Dance Revolution machines you see in the video arcades. That was actually pretty funny. I have to steal a line from Andy. Doom does not do Dance Dance Revolution. <laughs> you know, I cannot read Dr. Doom dialogue without Andy Leyland's voice in my head now. <laughs> Just can't do it. I think I, he planned it that way. I was playing Marvel... Avengers Alliance on Facebook, and I was fighting Doctor Doom. Doom does Doom is not afraid of your petty attempt, and all I hear is Leyland. <laughs> oh, somebody's got to take this next one because I love this next one. Oh, that would be me. All right, this is from our buddy Sean Angle. Congratulations, gentlemen, on your reaching your 104th. This is episode 105. <laughs> oh, 104th episode of Back to the Bids. Yes, no amount of uh, numerical fiddle bleepery. (laughs) Wow, we all edited that at once. We'll we'll make episode 100 any more than actual episode 104. 105. But that's besides the point. It's always wonderful to listen to to a lot of you generally chat about comics. Like so many before have said, 
It's the lack of format and the quality of the conversations that make this one of the best shows on the Two True Freak Two True Freaks feed. That being said, NFL Super Pro for episode 101 or GTFO. <laughs> Happy 100th, Sean Angle. <laughs> It may interest you to know, uh, Sean, that uh, just today I learned that uh, Jose Delbo is going to be at Megacon 2013, and I am taking my copy of NFL Super Pro number one to get autographed. <laughs> I saw you posted that. That's great. <laughs> Hopefully he doesn't call security and have me thrown out, but uh, yes, that is the plan. All right, I got to the next one, right? Yeah. All like. right. This one is entitled Back to the Bins, episode 101, and this is from David Dixon. He says, gentlemen, he says, I am in the middle of listening to episode 101 and have to stop to comment on Scott's coverage of Karate Kid number 10. First point, Jackie's real name. At this time in Legion history, Princess Projectra did not have a name, or Projectra was her name, and Legionnaires called her Projectra. It wasn't until much later that other uh, versions of the character had a different name. By the way, she is hot on page six. <laughs> she was hot on page six. Page six. Yes, she was. What's that they have in England? Fondly. Is that the page six or the page two or the page three girls they yeah, have? Page two girl, I think. Page two girl. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. She's yeah. our page six girl. She is our page six girl for that issue, yes. Jackie, baby. <laughs> Second point, Karate Kid. Wait, what was the point in that? That she didn't have a name? Is that? Okay, I guess that was. Because we, we were making fun of the fact that he was calling her Jackie. Yes. That okay. He, he had to cut Projector down to Jackie. <laughs> what the hell kind of name is Projector for your child? I'm pretty sure that could, that, sh that somebody should call the Orandian uh, Child Protective Services at this point because that's just cruel. All well, right. her father was like 90. I mean, he was probably senile. Well, didn't he have some goofy name too, though, come to think of it? He was Projector. I don't even want to go there. <laughs> was he the Winter Warlock? Yes. <laughs> yes. He <laughs> 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 so didn't win. Exactly. <laughs> Second point, he says, Karate Kid's missing flight ring. In the first issue of this title, the ring got damaged, and he never replaced it during his 20th century adventures. I am covering these uh, issues as part of my Legion blog, focus, uh, focusing on 70s run of Superboy. Currently, I'm up to Superboy 218 and Karate Kid number 3. I had no idea, dude. See, I have been thinking very strongly about, uh, I really would like to do... Um, something Superboy-related in podcasting. And I wondered if any of this stuff had ever been covered uh, in any sort of way as, as far as a, a regular blog post or in podcasting or what. So uh, that's interesting. You'll have to send me the link for that so I can uh, I can promote it on one of the shows because I would really like to check that. So I love that stuff. I know a lot of it's just as wacky as this issue of Karate Kid, but I am a sucker for that stuff. I grew up on Superboy. Uh, third point. Sadaharu, he says, now I know that Scott does not care about his backstory, but he was the student of Karate Kid's father, Black Dragon. I've heard that name before. He says, the two have been uh, at odds since Superboy uh, 210 when Sadaharu told Karate Kid that the Black Dragon was killed by Karate Kid's uh, mentor, Sensei. I thought Sensei was a title, not a name. 
See, they treat it like, like, uh, never mind. <laughs> that drives me crazy too. So Scott is correct when he says that these issues are crap, but have a sense <laughs> of fun. <laughs> I don't write to podcasts often, uh, but when you were talking about an era that I love, the Legion, not Karate Kid, I had to write in. Since I love the show, thanks for the entertainment. By the way, Cockrum's princess projector costume was my favorite for, of that time period. And I can understand why, dude. And that's from David. <laughs> Thank you for writing in, Dave. Always good to hear. See page six. Yes. Yes. You know the line there, it says, I don't write the podcasts often, but when I do, I drink <laughs> Dos Equis. <laughs> I don't write the podcast often, but when I do, it's back to the bins. Yeah. <laughs> Drinking a, a Dos Equis. Okay, my Nick, our next email is from our buddy Jason Trenner, who <laughs> not spam, not spam, not spam, who, who surprisingly titled it "Not Spam." <laughs> Back to the bins. Oh, you know really? what? Now we need a soundbite of the spam song for whenever Jason writes in. <laughs> spam, 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 That's easy spam, enough spam, to get a hold of. Spam, spam, spam. Egg and spam, wonderful spam. Oh, I'm sorry, I'll shut yeah, up. Yeah, I, like spam. Spam. I don't like spam. <laughs> What if you have the spam, spam, egg, spam, spam, and spam, but you have without the spam? That's got spam in it. Is that a pretty one on the belly? But it has less spam than the spam, 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 bacon, spam, 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 ham, and spam. Spam a lot. All right. Get on to Jason's email. I really like the Florida or RPG question session. And guys, I have played most of the games you mentioned. I just haven't played that Persona game, but played the first two. So, yes, they are all real. Glad to hear you guys review the Defenders. And, of course, it being the start of the storyline that had Nighthawk join the team made it even better. And interesting there, whatever that makes Nighthawk unable to see and intangible around Avengers didn't count the Hulk as one of them, or one of the team, excuse me. And the Wizard. Well, he did change his name to Speed Demon, so at least that has to help. Interesting, in a Wolverine story written by Frank Thierry, he'd added bladed weapons that he threw at super speed to his arsenal. It was the only time it was used, but I found it cool. As for the Squadron's sinister Hyperion is the only member that was a fake construct. Well, the first one was. The one in the team, the Thunderbolts, fought. The one in the team, the Thunderbolts, fought was not a construct. As for Karate Kid, the title character is using a shortened version of Princess Projector's name. She just left she just left off her last name and used that for her code name. So she, so he really doesn't have a lot of choice in giving her a nickname. As for Karate Kid needing to prove his worth, the guy spars with Superboy and the quest he was on probably won't prove his leadership skills, money management and diplomacy if that's what the king wanted him to have. Oh, he just wants to watch him in it, or, or he just, no, oh, he just wants to watch him in a creepy way for his entertainment. The Wonder <laughs> Brain got a super, Supergirl robot to be his girlfriend. It has to be, had, it, it'd have to be less of a pain in the ass. <laughs> As for the cover to the Karate Kid issue, it interestingly was used in a blog that alters covers to have Karate Kid versus Iron Fist. I wonder if that's the that blog, uh, Brave and the Bold, the fake Brave and the Bold covers. Have you seen that that site? No, I have. Oh, it's really good. Yeah, somebody takes 
classic comic book covers and and does mashups that never really happen, but they do them so well that most of them look pretty realistic. It's really a neat site. I have no idea what the name of it is. If if they listen, I'd love to hear them. I'd love to see them do mashups of the things we talked about in uh, Comics Monthly Monday. Because <laughs> yeah. some of those mashups are, you know, would be pretty cool if they actually printed them. And that's that's my teaser for Comics Monthly Monday, which I guess will have already been out for a couple of weeks by the time this airs. <laughs> right. And for Grimjack, that sounded cool to me. I haven't read any of it and need to check it out. On suggesting something for the show, can you guys cover Death's Head? The no. incomplete Death's Head limited series does reprint most of his adventures, barring the Transformers stuff, his Walt Simonson FF appearances, and the Marvel Comics Presents stories. So long, and thanks for the fish. <laughs> yeah, and at, as we're recording this today, it's um, today is, uh, well, actually now it's March 12th, but when we started this, it was March 11th, which <laughs> is uh, which uh, was Douglas Adams' birthday, and he would have been 61. He was born on March 11th, 1952, and he passed away, uh, we believe, back in 2001, so... Right. Don't panic. Did you guys see the uh, the Google homepage today? It was all it was all themed to uh, Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah. As for Death's Head, woof, man. I, I'll tell you with Death's Head. I have been reading, um, which I have to wonder if they're ever going to continue pu- publishing the 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 paperback versions of the official of the Ohatmu. They had been coming out for about the past year and a half. They've they've put out a bunch of hardcovers, and now they've been going back and doing soft covers. And I've been getting them, but they seem to have stopped around issue five or six. But anyway, I'm getting off my point here. I've been reading Death's Head, the entries. Oh my god, I thought my my head's gonna just implode because it's it's I mean it's it's deep in that it's really a uh, intricate. Involved storyline with the numerous. There's numerous different death heads and different incarnations, and oof, it's it's uh it's you know going down a deep hidey hole there. So I I I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I like when you guys tackle it. Well, I'm, like I said, I'm totally unfamiliar with it, so I don't know if I could give you any kind of uh, insight into that one. I know who he is, but I don't think I've ever read any stories with him. I, I'm not even sure I own any stories with him. I sat in the John so long try, trying to figure it out. My legs went numb. <laughs> well, just because just he said that there was a, he was in uh, FF, I might have a couple of issues. Yeah, that was when Walt Simonson did it, and it was a whole uh, when they got involved with the cross uh, the, the TVA, the Time Variance Authority. I believe that's where it, where it popped in. Because I mean, he's heavily involved in time travel. And creating different versions of himself, and and you know, oof. <laughs> you need a flowchart just to read the comic book. So, Who's got the last one? Ah, uh, oh, that would be me. Okay, this is from Jose A. Rivera. Mm-hmm. Hey guys. Hey Jose. How's it going, buddy? It's been a while. I know. But after listening to the latest episode, I had some thoughts I'd like to share with you. Scott, I know you're not digging West Coast Avengers right now, but allow <laughs> oh, this is a recurring theme. But allow me to say how much I love that book. It's funny 
how you, how you can think fondly of some titles and remember where you were when you first read them. I remember picking up that first issue in 1996. I was 13 at the time, and I'm old, and really getting into the back issue bins of, of the two comic shops in my area. I'm a DC boy, but I always liked Captain America and Hawkeye. I often heard of the West Coast branch of the Avengers, but didn't read many of their comics. The first issue was $2.50, and I remembered gathering with spare change. I had to try, I had to try and buy it. And yes, a good portion of that change was pennies, but the guy behind the register was really patient and real, and really kind as he'd seen me in the store before looking at that comic. I picked up the first issue and loved it. When I, when I had the money, I tried to save a little to buy more issues. I think I made it to 10 issue, to issue 10 before money became a problem for me, but there were so many things to love about that title, including my first introduction to the Werewolf by Night. The amazing Ultron 11 and Ultron 12 story, and the thing joined the team for a while. Because I wasn't a big Marvel fan and because I didn't know the history of this book, everything was new and a surprise. To this day, I still have those issues and I'll reread them again. Not every issue is great, but they're fun comics and they'll always hold a special place in my comic buying heart. <clears throat> you guys said that J. David Weeder wrote a novel and you plugged it on the show? Awesome. I'm not saying Back to the Bins has never plugged my book. Oh, yeah. I don't know if we ever plugged it on Back to the Bins. It was on a Comics Monthly it. Monday, right? Well, yes. he was on Comics Monthly Monday. To you know, we he was on and you know discussed the book with everybody. And then I know I brought it up again. I think two months later because at that point I had read, and and I thought the book was really good, which Jose knows. I told him that too. So please consider it pimped. Wait, Jose wrote a book? You don't have a copy? No, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm being facetious. Oh, okay. oh and, 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 and Bill does bits. Oh. What's a bit? What? No. <laughs> All right, anyway, back to the email. I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying you can go to Amazon.com and search underground. Well, first you should go to the Two True Freaks website. Yes. And then go to the Amazon link from that, <laughs> from that page. And search Underground Adventures Volume 1. And it's only a dollar as an ebook. Nope, not going to do that. That's because I just did for you there, J Jose. I'm also not going to say you could go to lulu.com and search the same thing to get the paperback. I'm also not going to say it's a short story anthology with four exciting tales. Nope, I'm not going to say that any of the cuz because I'm not that type of guy, <laughs> but I am. Meaning me, not you. Me, me, me. What? what? Anyway. All right. Finally, something you guys said in regards me. What? Finally, something you guys said in regards to waiting in lines at conventions really made me realize that I hate waiting in line for super special celebrities. <laughs> Paul, if I'm right, the convention you. I'm sorry. I'm only tickled about this because I was on such a rant in that episode that. It wasn't until I was listening back to it that I realized that Paul said like 15 times, dude, I only waited like 15 yeah. minutes. To 45 meet minutes. <laughs> not a whole day. I'm not going to wait in line for a whole day just to see Stan Lee. Again, 45 minutes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. With, with the quiet deadpan coming in. Again, 45 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was wondering if you noticed that at all. 
Uh, when I listened back to it, yes, I did, and I felt like. But an you, idiot. you were just flying right over that every time. Zoom, yep. zoom. I'm not waiting all day. <laughs> <laughs> I was tunnel vision. Sorry. <laughs> that was that was my good friend ranting Scott. Uh-huh. <laughs> every once in a while, he's just got to come out and play. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Paul. It, it, it. If I'm right, the convention you waited for Stan Lee for 45 minutes. <laughs> Not a whole day. Was the very same convention I was waiting in line to meet George Perez. Now, I've met Perez before, and he's a hell of a nice guy. But, oh, dear Lord, are his lines insane. I kid you guys not. I waited almost two <laughs> hours. <laughs> and and I, I saw that line because we were at the same show. And... Perez is obviously a very personable guy, and each person that comes up to him, he takes the time to talk to them and answer their questions and, you know, make them feel, you know, I I guess just make them feel good about the whole experience, but it makes the line take a long time. And I remember, you know, when we were in there, we looked, and the line was kind of going around the aisle and then back around again, you know, with probably a couple of hundred people on it, and, and I mentioned to my son you know this guy's one of the best artists that i know of and everything and he looked at the line and he was like yeah no <laughs> and we just ended up walking away mm-hmm. but that not let me back up but that's not the part i mind scott you know how you say you'd rather speak speak to the person you're meeting a little more intimately rather than waiting in line forever and then being brushed off yeah 45 minutes <laughs> <laughs> You know what I wish would happen when I get on a line to meet someone? I wish I wouldn't get stuck behind blanking collectors. You know the type. People with carts and short boxes filled with comics for one person to sign. Just put eBay, just put an eBay sticker on your back and save us the blanking trouble. I, I get stuck behind these people all the time and it drives me crazy. That and they have their buddies with them holding their place in line while they go to another creator's table to get something else signed. When I see someone at a convention, I try to bring what I like the most that they did. In the case of George Perez, I brought one of my Superman custom bindings, which turned out to be a nice conversation piece between the two of us. It was one thing. I think creators don't mind if people bring a lot, but they're usually nicer to the people who bring what's important to them. Mm-hmm. Anyway... I- Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I got to think, you know, it's never going to be a problem for me because no one's going to ever care about having my autograph anyway. But I got to think if I were one of these guys, I might just set a rule of, you know, I'm happy to sign anything for anybody who comes up, but one thing per person. Well, Because why do you need to come up and have five things signed? Why do you need to come I, up I, and have 20 things signed? Well, well I, I could see if, all right, now... Let's say uh, if I was to meet Mr. Perez, maybe I'd like to get all four issues of JLA versus Avengers signed. No, maybe you'll get one of them signed. But, you know, <laughs> it's, I that's mean, all, I mean, yeah, but I'm, I'm, but I wouldn't. That's, I, that's well and good, but why do you, you know, one thing should satisfy you. Not necessarily. I mean, now I wouldn't bring five sets of the miniseries, you know, 20 books take, oh, can you sign all these for me? Yeah, that's one's for my kid. No, 
No, screw that. If it's a mini series, now I wouldn't bring a whole run of books up. You know, some some people like to do that too. But one or maybe a mini series, I'd have no problem with that. But you know, you start doing a maxi series, or you start doing a whole run of books, or you bring up twenty in one freaking book. No, that's crazy. Right. Let's see, see I, this. I, I, oh. I still don't even see a problem with. Okay, you have the JLA Avengers series. We'll have Mister Perez sign number one. Right. See, this is actually a very timely topic for me because I just spent the entire day today prepping for for MegaCon and uh, and getting my list together of all the stuff I'm going to pull from my collection to take in the hopes of getting signed. And believe me, I'm not one of these dickheads that that's doing what Jose is doing. I'm very respectful of the creators and the fact that I wouldn't want to sit there all day long signing stuff, especially if I had even an inkling that the person's not genuine and sincere and is just going to turn around and slap it on eBay to try to get a buck out of it, that would piss me off. So the approach that I that I take with it, and believe me, this is not me, you know, trying to give like, you know, oh, I'm going to give you advice. I'm just telling you, this is my method and it's worked really well for me, um, is that I will take things that have a sentimental meaning to me. That means, generally speaking, it's not the hottest book that that person's ever done. As a matter of fact, I've had a number of creators kind of snicker like, oh, you like this book? Because they're used to, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a really good example. You know, like, say, Mark Bagley, when I met him, everybody was, you know, the hot thing that he was doing at the time was Ultimate Spider-Man. So I purposely stayed away from that. You know, not that I really you know, had any issues of that anyway, or really like that. Maybe that wasn't the best example. I don't know. I'm trying to think of some other like high profile artists or, or writers or whatever that I've met, but generally I'll stay away from whatever the big thing was that they, that they did. And I'm, I'm going for the thing that has a, a meaning to me, a sentimental reason. And I, you know, if there's time, I like to explain to them why I brought this book and what it meant to me. A really good example was uh, was when I got to meet Bob Layton. And I brought um, maybe, I'm trying to remember exactly how many books I brought, maybe a dozen. And just, you know, and the first thing I'll say, because I, I, I see sometimes they'll have a look on their face like, oh, God, here we go again. And I'll just say, please, you know, pick one or two of, of the selection I've chosen uh, you know, to, to sign. I don't want them to feel obligated. I don't want them to think that I'm one of these, what, what Chris Honeywell calls a humper that's just trying to get as much out of them. You know, it's, I'll, I'll just bring a few things that are personal to me, ask them to pick one that they might like type of thing. And I'll tell you, generally speaking, they're so enamored of that approach that they'll go ahead and they'll sign most everything that you bring up. Or they'll tell you that, you know, well, you know, I'll sign two or three. And you know anything over that, there's a little donation fee. That's what Bill uh, Senkovic did, which was awesome. You know that was fine by me because, like, like Paul said, I don't think really that you should expect more than one. I think one should one freebie should be the rule. If they go more than that, that's awesome. But I leave that up to them, and I like to let them choose the book. You know, so that's why I'll bring a, a little mini selection of things for them to choose from. You know, here's some of your work that's meant the most to me. You know, go ahead and pick one to sign, and I leave the choice up to them kind of thing. But again, that approach really seems to work whenever I've done it, and they'll generally, you know, if there's not a line and that sort of thing, and depending on the person, they'll go ahead, they'll sign everything because they know that you're being sincere. 
especially if you have a moment to tell them why you chose that particular book. That's what I did with with Bob Layton. You know, every one of the books that I brought for him was, for the most part, was a little off the beaten path. You know, I, I brought you know an old issue of uh, of DC. Um, it's either DC Special or DC Special series that he had done um, about the Justice Society. And I brought that because not long ago, Mike Bailey and I had been talking about that book in a show. You know, I brought a, a Star Wars issue that he had done because, for one, the art was really good, but it's like one of the worst issues of the series. So I was kind of being a smartass about it. But he got that and he got a kick out of it, you know, that sort of thing. So I don't know. I think it's all in your approach. But I know exactly what you mean with these people that come up and they've got, you know, a long box full of stuff that they want one creator to sit there and sign. There's no way in hell that I would do that. I don't care if you paid 100 bucks to get into the show. I'm going to sign one if I sign any. And I'm going to tell you to get the hell out of here because you're just you're either so socially retarded that you just don't get how this thing works or. You're just looking to make a buck. You're going to turn right around and slap that on eBay. I think that's the, the most insincere thing to do to one of these creators. And I see people do it at these shows all the time. But I tell you another thing, you know, you don't want to go and get into a fist fight or something. But at the same rate, don't be afraid to call one of these assholes out about that. I would. I have no problem. To, I, I've long since passed that point at these shows that if somebody's being an idiot, I'll call them out about it, especially if they stink. If you stink, <laughs> I, I, I swear to God, I'm at that point now when I go to these shows that if you smell, I'm going to tell you, dude, you need to back the hell up because you stink. Get off of me, you know? And but it, it also depends on, on the situation with the creator, too. George Perez is, is, is a prime example of a guy who has a long line of people waiting to get over to see him. Right. And to make, to make every even a dozen books, to me, is way over the top, uh, you know? To make everybody else sit there and online while he signs a dozen books, I think is too much to ask for. Well, I don't think that's with... fair when there's a long line. It's different when you get a guy like – now, when, when I go, I, I generally seek out the older creators because those are the ones who I have an affinity towards. When I went over to Rich Buckler, he didn't have anybody with him at the time that I went there, and I had a chance to sit and talk to him for a while, and, and it was great. And I'm sure – I didn't bring anything for him to sign, but I'm sure if I had brought a few things for him to sign, he wouldn't have minded it at all. Right. But it's, it's different a big with, diff- it's oh, with Perez only because, see, Perez charges. And I think that should be the difference. So that same guy that I just assume boot right in the ass that walks up to somebody like Bob Layton with a long box and says, here, sign these. And that's usually about the extent of any social grace these people have is to just plunk down a giant stack not even bother to say thanks for your work or, or make you know polite conversation. It's just here, sign these. You know, that same person, I will give them a complete pass if they're doing it in somebody like George Perez's line because Perez charges for his signature. That's the difference. You know, if that person's shelling out money for every single issue in that box, you know, God bless them, because I don't have the time or the money for that nonsense. But if they want to do it, you know, it may suck if you're the guy behind that person and you've got your 25 bucks in hand and you just want your one issue of something signed that you've got to wait for that nonsense. But you know what? He's paying his money just the same as you are. That's the difference. But mm-hmm. if they're not paying anything, then 
I, I'm telling you, I would feel perfectly justified to tap that dude on the shoulder and go, dude, come on, get the hell along. You know? See, I didn't realize that, that Perez uh, charged for an autograph. He does, and that's the only reason I've never gotten his autograph. And that's not me being a dick. It's just I don't believe in it. I, you know, And I understand it's for a good cause and all that sort of thing. I'm conflicted. I mean, for one, I'll be perfectly honest, I'm poor. You know, I can't really justify going to these shows and, and shelling out money for somebody's autograph. But also, I'm I'm torn about the whole thing. I don't know that I really believe in it, even if it's for a good cause. I, I, I just don't know. I, to me, it's like, you know, w- without me, you know, where would you be? And I feel like that with, and it's not, I'm not picking on George Perez. I love the guy. But, I mean, I feel that way about all celebrities. You know, I, I think to a certain degree, we are, as fans, perfectly justified in that sort of feeling of, you know what, you kind of owe me. You know, because they do kind of owe us, you know, they wouldn't meet Mm. anybody from from Leonard Nimoy to to George Perez to Mark Hamill to Harrison Ford. They wouldn't be anywhere or anybody without us, you know. And so I don't think that they should have or, or cop an attitude when it comes to, hey, you know, would you mind signing this for me? You know, I, I just don't yeah. I don't think there should be a sense of. Uh, of celebrity when it comes to that. I think you should be able to put yourself in check and go, you know what? This is a fan. You know, they, they love me. They help make me what I am today. They help put me where I am. They help pay my bills. The least I can do is sign their issue of, you know, NFL super pro. <laughs> wow, you know, Neil, Ad- Neil Adams had the same thing where he charges for an autograph. His, his booth has a setup where it's, if you just bring something for him to sign, it's 10 bucks for him to sign it. But they also have, a, you know, a bunch of prints and posters and books for sale. And if you buy anything from the booth, that, that he'll sign for free. Right. Because you bought the book, you know, bought it from him. So when I was there, not this past Comic-Con, the Comic-Con before that, I bought a print and had him sign it. See, George Perez is probably a really bad example for me to have used because I know that the guy's not doing it so that he can sleep on a mattress of $100 bills. I understand that. He's doing it because, to my understanding, every cent that he makes at these shows goes into whatever they're calling that thing now. It's, I know it's had several different names, but it, it, it's a fund to mm-hmm. help older creators that came up on the work for hire system that don't have health care that that basically they're facing the end of their life uh, lives and uh and are dying paupers you know and, yeah, and it a was lot uh, of, the heroes initiative yeah yeah so i understand that and that's probably a bad example that i'm i would be happy to give my money up to but a lot of these other guys i don't i mean i don't i see i'm just conflicted you know it's bruce brock yeah yeah exactly bruce. Fox yeah, that guy. Come on, you can't tell me that that he's hurting for dough. I, at least I don't. I would. Man, he's think. he's really gotten your skin, hasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many years ago was this? Now that you still listed him, um, almost four years ago. Don't don't hold a grudge or anything. Oh, I'm I'm a legendary <laughs> in holding grudges. I need my pain. I want my pain. I need my pain. But uh, I don't know. Like I say, you know, the best I can define it is I'm conflicted about the whole thing because some of these guys, you know, maybe this is their revenue. You know, maybe this is all the money that that they can generate is is going and and whoring themselves out to some convention somewhere. You know, if that's the case, then I'm sorry, but 
I, I still am just not, I'm just not comfortable with that. You know, to me, that's just like the height of hubris that, you know, I'm Joe celebrity and you're going to have to pay if you want my, my audit. I just, ah, really? You'll be Get over yourself. I, yeah, and it's and it's worse in a lot of ways with comic book celebrities because, again, and I know I've harped on this a million times, but it, there was somebody, and I want to say it was Roger Stern, but somebody at one of the first conventions I ever went to made me very aware of the fact of how bizarre it must be to be one of these people that you go to something like, uh, you know, like a Megacon or a Comic-Con or Ithacon or whatever – and you've got your ass kissed and you've got lines of people that are adoring fans that can't wait to meet you and shake your hand and talk to you and pat you on the back and get you to sign stuff. And then you walk out the door and across the street to McDonald's and nobody knows who the hell you are. That's got to be bizarre. And I would think that that would be a huge reality check in wanting to charge $25 for your signature. You know, the fact that, you know, in the real world, you know, you're not hot shit. You know, I, I don't know. I, I sound like I'm being mean, or at least I feel like I sound like I'm being mean. And I, that's not my intention. But I just, I don't know. The whole signature thing just bugs the hell out of me. I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, I mean, that's that's part of the reason why I, I don't actually even do what, what you're doing for Megacon. I, I haven't really brought a, you know, a, a selection of books to get autographed uh you know, when 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 I go, I'm I'm kind of looking to meet up with some of these guys just to say hello, to tell them how much I enjoyed their work. You know, see if they give me any kind of insight into, you know, what what they think of their stuff and everything. But uh, I, I generally don't go with an autograph. You know, uh, a selection of things to get autographed, which is actually what cost me a meeting with John Romita Senior, which I wanted to have because I had to run and buy something for him to autograph because I wanted an excuse to go up to the table. Right. And uh, by the time I got back, he was gone. <laughs> but See, I, I'm at that point now where, you know, I, I definitely still get a thrill out of, you know, the autograph stuff. I get a thrill out of coming home at, you know, after the con and going through all the books and going, Oh my God, you know, I, I got to meet this person and look, I've got their signature and all that. But, I feel like I'm cutting back at this particular one because there are a number of creators that um, either I met them before, so I got the big thing signed, or I really want to try to spend more time just talking to them. So I'm either not bringing as much or I'm not bringing anything, but I still have the intent to to go to their table. And this time, rather than asking for an autograph, just you know, shake their hand and, and ask for a conversation. You know, So there's mm-hmm. that, too. But yeah, I, I like the whole, and it's not even that I'm like an autograph hound because I can't really think of anything else I've got besides my comics where an autograph means anything to me. But with the comics, it does. I, I can't explain why it, it it actually is a big deal to me. I think that's really neat, you know, to, to actually go and, and meet that creator. And I think a lot of it too is that a lot of my books, you know, they're they're old. You know, they're they're. You know, I've had them since whatever the day was that I bought them, so they go right back, you know, all the way back to my childhood. So I think it's neat to be able to kind of bring that and go, look, this has meant this much to me for this long kind of thing. You know what I mean? I don't know. You guys still there? Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
Well, I feel like I'm just running on and on. What has anybody else got to say, or do we need to wrap this puppy up? Well, actually, I just got one more line to finish in the email. Ah. Uh, let me get back to it. Anyways, I've ran it enough. <laughs> <laughs> Timely. Just perfect. It's been a while since I've written an email here, hasn't it? Yes. I've talked to Scott and Paul many times, but Bill, allow me to say it's nice to meet you, and you're doing a hell of a job on the show. Why, thank you. Thank you, Jose. Sincerely, Jose A. Rivera. And that is the last of our emails. Thank you to everybody who wrote in. That catches us up, which means you need to start writing more email because now we are all caught up. But, uh, again, thank you to everybody that wrote in. Uh, I think it's inspired some really good conversation tonight. If you're wondering where the comics are, well, I I don't know if we said it at the beginning of the show or not, but we never had any intention to bring any comics in tonight. This is just uh, free form and uh, just shooting the breeze about uh, funny books and answering emails. So I hope and, everybody got a kick out of it. And remember, this is episode 105. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I got that wrong. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and is a registered trademark of DiManzocore of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com slash league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.